this idea, this notion that by winning a championship, whether it was the Phillies in 2008 or the Eagles two years ago, that it lifted this gray, black cloud over the town, and now everybody's going to be, you know, shiny and happy and holding hands. That does not play in Philadelphia. <laughs> it's hard to argue that there's another city that has been um, as consistently passionate, even like through the losing and then through the winning. On this episode of Against the Grain, we're going to talk about a Super Bowl rematch, Patriots and the Eagles, and what the impact of that game was on both franchises. Should be fun. We are cutting against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Now your host for Against the Grain. Against the grain. Here's Andrew Perloff. Welcome to the Against the Grain podcast. We're going to do something a little different this week. I'm here with Mario, who produces the podcast. Focus on one game, the Eagles versus the Patriots in Philadelphia, Sunday, 425 p.m. Eastern. Now, Mario, you uh, obviously realize this is the first time the two teams have met since Super Bowl in Minneapolis when the Philadelphia Eagles walked away with a 41-33 victory. Now, in your opinion, just sum it up. I'm just curious what you think. Where have the Eagles gone since that win, and where have the Patriots gone? Uh, I think the Patriots have stayed where they they were at that win, which is at the top. I, I think the Eagles have gone down since then. Um, I feel I mean I feel like the connotation around them is Carson Wentz can't stay healthy, although he's been healthy this year. But I don't know they're they're kind of in flux it seems. Absolutely. Now this gets me this whole idea of the Super Bowl loser jinx. Now if we're going to look at the last few Super Bowl losers, Los Angeles Rams lost 13-3 in last year's Super Bowl, they're obviously a different team. I mean, Todd Gurley's knee, I think, is the number one culprit. I think people have caught up with Sean McVay a little. Feels like a Super Bowl jinx. The Patriots, the year before, lose to the Eagles. No Super Bowl jinx. They're right back. Mm -hmm. Which says to me, this is the craziest, most efficient, most amazing franchise in modern sports. Yeah, It's unbelievable how they don't let something like that affect them. Mm -hmm. The year before, the Atlanta Falcons blew the 28-3 lead. Man, they Haven't fell the off same. a cliff. Yeah. The year before that, the Panthers got beat up by the Broncos in Super Bowl 24-10. Fallen off a cliff. Mm-hmm. year before that, the Malcolm Butler interception of Russell Wilson in the Super Bowl. Seahawks, they're good, they're very yeah. good this year, but they have not been the same team. The yeah. dynasty ended right there. The year before that, oh my gosh, look at this one. Oh no, it's a little different. The Broncos lost 43-8 to the Seahawks. Yeah. Now, what happened was the Broncos sort of regrouped and became a defensive team. So that was the Peyton Manning offensive-led Broncos really were never the same, but then they won because Von Miller went crazy. So I guess that wasn't a killer Super Bowl, Jakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting, the year before that was the Ravens beat the Niners in the Super Bowl. Colin Kaepernick um, lost the game, and he got hurt. A lot of things went wrong with the Niners. So that yeah. Super Bowl jinx is real. The fact that the Patriots don't really suffer it is amazing to me. Uh, and I'm going to the game this weekend. I'm really excited about it. And it got me thinking about this so Philadelphia versus Boston thing. Now, the Eagles Super Bowl, you have no idea, Mario, since you didn't grow up there, how huge this was. I I mean, I have all my friends are Eagles fans, so all I hear about is Eagles every day. And they'll break down, like, what's going on with the second string left tackle. Like, it's just ridiculous. I don't really know of a fan base like that. Yeah, I mean, New York is not quite the same. That's what we're going to get into. Yeah. We're going to compare... It's the sort of eastern seaboard fan bases. And I'm going to talk to the Philadelphia Inquirer's Mike Sealski, awesome writer, has interesting insight as to where the Philadelphia fan base is. 
Was that Super Bowl enough to satisfy them? Are they good? Is Howie Roseman can do no wrong, the GM? Uh, Doug Peterson, the coach, is will forever be safe in that job, you would think. But we know Philly. I kind of mm-hmm. feel that's not going to be right. We're also going to talk to my friend, Sports Illustrated, Charlotte Wilder, who is a Patriots fan. And my take on the Boston fans in general is they've had it too good. I yeah. mean, this is crazy. If you were born of a certain age in Boston, you have no idea what defeat tastes like. No. I, no sport. Any oh, yeah. sport. Yeah. So it's uh, it's a very interesting fan base. I'm curious what the two writers I'm going to talk to think is a better fan base. Personally, I think Boston, New York, and Philadelphia are very similar fan bases. Washington tries to pretend like they're that kind of fan base, but it's a different town. Oh, yeah. It's a different set of teams. Of course, I think the Redskins have been hurt by their ownership. I'll uh-huh. just say that. It's just not the same team. So you have your, your rabid sort of... Northeastern teams, it's the Eagles, the Patriots, the Giants, and the Jets. I I don't even put where the Redskins are right now, but they're such a mess. So we're going to talk about that and talk a little bit about this week's game. It's a huge game for the Eagles. If I'm the Eagles and I was watching the Niners-Seahawks game, everyone's talking about those teams as big contenders. That was a sloppy game. Mm -hmm. They just ripped the ball out of Jimmy G's hand multiple times. And the Seahawks are not a great defense right now. All of a sudden, they look great. Yeah. The Seahawks are amazing in the fourth quarter, but they they are always down fourteen nothing. I don't I can't figure out how they're doing it. And then you look at the other contenders. The Vikings seem to be a different team on the road. If you can get them out of their home field in the playoffs, I think you can beat them. Kirk yeah. Cousins has won some big games. You know, we beat Dallas, but I'm still not convinced. And the Packers, I think the Packers are a flawed team as well. I don't think this is the the Packers Super Bowl team. I think they're very, very good with Aaron Rodgers. I think the defense is a little better. But, I mean, the Eagles beat them, and they really and beat them up, up too. Yeah, yeah, I know. So if I'm the Eagles, uh, and then the Saints are the other team, they just lost to the Falcons. I think the NFC is wide open. So I think this is actually a huge game against a New England team who's 8-1 and one but hasn't played anyone. So the Eagles are looking at a real head-to-head Week 16 against Dallas. Every game kind of counts here for them. Because let's face it, they're the one team. You're not really talking about them in the NFC. I think you just put them in the pile of Super Bowl losers and dismiss them. Mm-hmm. So maybe they can prove something here. But we're also going to look back a little bit at what that game meant. Mike Sielski, like me, is a Philly guy. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal for Philly guys. So we'll get into oh, yeah. that a little bit. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. And Charlotte, if you don't know her work, she is hysterical. She's uh, writes, does podcasts, does TV for Sports Illustrated. Uh, there's no one really better to talk about some of the side stuff going around the Patriots. You know my theory on the Patriots. They're so boring. All they do is little eight-yard passes down the field, and then they look like they're in trouble, and then they win the Super Bowl. Yeah. That's the end of the story to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but I get a lot of trouble for that. Because it was like, <laughs> you don't realize they're brilliant. I'm like, yeah, of course I do. I'm I'll, just a little bored of their brilliance. What are they going to hand over the AFC to some other teams? Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like anytime soon. So uh, let's get right into it right now. With Philadelphia Inquirer columnist Mike Sielski. All right, Mike. So I know it's been a little while now, but what's your lasting memory from the Eagles Patriots Super Bowl? I would say two things, Andrew. I would say number one, like most people, I think the Philly special, um, just the uh, the guts uh, and kind of the. The daring that it took to run that play in that situation against that team and against that coach um, will always stand out to me. And then afterwards, after the game had ended and the Eagles had won, um, and after I'd filed my column from the game, 
Uh, I went to the back of the press box, took out my cell phone, and called my dad. Oh, my been God. a lifelong Eagles fan, and said to him, listen, um, I know i got to go down and work and interview these players and write some more, but can you believe they won the Super Bowl? And then we shared a quick moment, and then I you know, headed down and uh, went and did my work. But those two moments stand out. So about I was actually in the stands for the game. I was about five rows up, pretty close to the field. Uh, it was mayhem the minute after the game. But I called my dad, who wasn't there, and from there, and just, you know, I didn't even know how much I was into this. started crying in front of, like, all my buddies <laughs> um, uh, because, you know, he was a lifelong Eagles fan. You know, I'm old enough to remember the miracle of the Meadowlands. I was a really little kid, and my dad was cursing up a storm. I'm like, what is going on? I was just so excited. And I, I went to the uh, 81 NFC title game again as a little kid. So for him, this was this was crazy. I mean, it's such a cliche, but isn't that what football is about, fathers and sons? It, it, it absolutely is. I know my mom told me this later that uh, my dad had been welling up um, at the end of the game, um, not, not just because the Eagles won. I mean, there's a little part of it, but, you know, he's had three of his close friends pass away within the last five to ten years. His, his father had died, and, you know, my grandfather had died in 2002, um, you know, a year or so after uh, you know, the Eagles had been in the NFC Championship game, and you know all those sort sort of thoughts come back to you when you follow a franchise that has gone so long in between championships. And um, I, you know, I'm sure that you and I, I know for a fact that you and I were not the only ones thinking those things and feeling that way uh, at the end of that Super Bowl. Do you think other cities are like that? Do you think it was the the Super Bowl drought? I mean, do you. Who knows, does a Baltimore kid call his dad when the Ravens win? I don't know Like if other cities do that. After you win one Super Bowl, does, are, is it a little bit watered down? You know, that's a good question. I've been trying to, to pick guys' brains up here in Foxborough this week um, because the Patriots have won so often. Uh, and does it kind of water it down? And uh, the couple of guys have said have said no, it doesn't, uh, <laughs> probably because Belichick will kill them if they say something <laughs> yeah. different. But, um, you know, I mean, I think you know this from having grown up there like me. Philip, there's something about Philadelphia, I would imagine, cities like Boston and, and to a degree Chicago uh, can approximate it, uh, just that, that sports, and in particular this one particular sport, football, is just so much a part of the culture and the way of life, and it's the thing that everybody kind of identifies with and ties everyone together. Um, you know, I think it matters more in other cities, and I think when in a city like that, whether it's with the Red Sox in Boston or the Eagles in Philadelphia, when it, a team goes a long time without winning a championship, uh, there does become this kind of communal uh, I don't know if you want to call it absolution or joyfulness or whatever, but, you know, everyone celebrates together and has a story like that. Yeah, I mean, it's a different because they're not long-suffering, but did you see Toronto last year, the way they exactly. reacted to that championship? But, you know, I do think each city is a little different. I have my wife's family from, from Boston, and it feels like the Red Sox are their Eagles. And in New York, I live in New York, I feel like the Yankees are their Eagles to some mm -hmm. extent. I don't. I don't think it's the same... Every sport resonates a little differently in each town. There are a lot of football towns, but there are also some baseball towns, some NBA towns. Do you think that's fair? Oh, I think that's absolutely fair. I worked in New York for three years, um, and I can remember uh, a few years ago, uh, a buddy of mine who covers the New York Jets uh, for the Post, Brian Costello, uh, was driving down 95 to cover a preseason game between the Eagles and the Jets. And it was right when the Phillies were, you know, kind of, I, I guess it was 2018, and they were, uh, you know, we're in first place, and you know, it was Gabe Kapler's first year as the manager, and nobody expected mm. them to be good, and here they were in first place. And he, I see Kaz at the game, and he says to me, 
Mike, what, what is going on? All the talk radio is talking about the second string <laughs> linebacker and the, the third string left tackle. You got a baseball team in a, in a division race. I said, Brian, this is Philadelphia, and the Eagles are the sun, and we all just revolve around them. Absolutely. The way it should be, in my opinion. But uh, what is the sense in Philadelphia, you know, now that it's been a couple of years, is there any sense of like Howie Roseman and that regime? How much leeway do they have? Was, was that Super Bowl enough to last? Five years, 10 years? How much rope does this current sort of coaching and management have? I think it's getting shorter than you might think. Um, Really? I really do. I think this idea, this notion that by winning a championship, whether it was the Phillies in 2008 or the Eagles two years ago, that it lifted this gray, black cloud over the town, and now everybody's going to be, you know, shiny and happy and holding hands. That does not play in Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Philadelphia Eagles fans got a taste of what it's like to be a champion, and they want it again and again and again. And so the idea that you know, the team is 5-4, and four, uh, and their defense has been spotty, and their wide receivers have stunk. Like, you know, people are calling out Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson and everybody involved with the organization uh, because, in their minds, this is not good enough. And, you know, that, that grace period, it's, it's some people still extended uh, to Howie and the organization, but not as many as you might think. So, uh, you know, Dan Patrick here, he sometimes is lightly critical of the Philadelphia fan base for being too negative. I think that's kind of why. I mean, you you know, you're a, you're the columnist there. Do you ever rip the fans for being too impatient, or is that like a, a third rail topic? Well, it kind of is, but I have done that. You yeah. know, it, it, not ripping them so much as pointing out, like, look, you as a fan base want your teams to go for it every single year. That really can't happen. Like, look at what look at what's happened with the Sixers, right? You know, Sam Henke, you know, was popular in some parts of the city and, and the country for the process. He also took a ton of criticism in Philadelphia. People f- felt like they were being bamboozled. And nobody wanted to hear that, wait a minute, you may have to clear the decks here uh, and start fresh before the Sixers can really contend. Um, nobody in Philadelphia wants to hear that. The, the rebuilding is verboten. The, the belief <laughs> is, you know, you can refuel the plane while you're still flying it. And uh, I do think that fans sometimes can be unreasonable. I just do. Um, they, they put their hearts before their heads. And to a degree, I understand it because the franchises, the teams here haven't won all that often. Uh, but by the same token, you know, just because, you know, you want to fight doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to win the fight every time you try. <laughs> you've got you've to have the proper weaponry. You've got to have, you know, the proper resources. And until you do, it's kind of pointless to complain that your team doesn't win. So a total side topic, but I was just thinking about that because you're with Inquirer and I grew up reading Inquirer. Who are the columnists that you sort of I don't know if you even aim to be a columnist or you aim to be a reporter, but who were the guys that you read and then wanted to be like? Uh, well, my hero growing up was Bill Lyon. Um, yeah, of course. The Inquirer. Yeah. And, uh, and as, it, as it turned out, um, he, uh, he became my mentor. Uh, mm. It's been about 23, 24 years now. He, uh, I wrote him a letter when I was in college. Uh, he didn't bother writing me back. He actually called me up and took me to a Phillies game to shadow him around, and, and a relationship developed from there. So I grew up reading the Inquirer, too. Jason Stark was one of my favorites. His, his Tuesday and Sunday baseball pages. Um, I'm trying to think. Al Morgani, who's now a you know, talk radio sure. host in, in Philadelphia, covered the Flyers. I would read his stuff. Um, the guys I work with now, Bob Ford, uh, Mike Jensen. Um, you know, I remember Stephen A. Smith covering the NBA in Me the too. 1990 yeah. when I was still in college. So, um, yeah, I have a lot of fond memories of growing up reading the Inquirer in particular. You know and that, who I totally missed, but uh, 
I don't think you mentioned, but was Angelo Cataldi like a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter? He was a Pulitzer finalist in the mid-1980s. I think it was 1986 for his coverage of the Eagles. Um, and Which yet, is amazing. It is amazing. He was, you know, by all accounts, there are people who are still at the Inquirer Sports Department. And for those, for your listeners who don't know, Angelo is now the number one morning sports host right. in Philadelphia and has been for 30 years. Um, <clears throat> there are people who still work at the Inquirer who say he was the most talented journalist and sports writer they've ever been around. Um, and, you know, I know Angelo well. I appear on his show. Uh, he wrote a letter of recommendation for me for grad school about, you know, 20 years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, and yeah. he, is, he is a fixture in that town. But, yeah, if he had wanted to, if he had wanted to stick it out in sports writing, he'd have been one of the Giants. I I get booked on a show on occasion, and, but I just and I come on, but I don't get to say anything. He just tells me he's yep. he'll go on a two minute rant and say, "Right, Andrew." I'll be well, and then he'll cut me off and go again. I love Angel, you know. And uh, I'm friends with Jim Cohen, who used to be his editor yep. at Inquirer, who was at the NFL Network and ESPN for a long time. Worked with my guy Dan Patrick, and he would say Angelo was when the pack went one way, Angelo went the other, and always found a great story. Uh, got way off time. By the way. Yeah, I know you're up in Foxborough, Boston. Now that's a killer sports page too. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, the that, Globe that, was that, all time. The, the, the Globe was all time great when, you know, when Gammons was creating the notes page, and you had columnists like Bob Ryan and Lee Montville and Will McDonough covering the NFL. I mean, you know, I mean, my God, just incredible. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so current Eagles, what's the sense in the city? Did they do enough at the trade deadline? You mentioned the receivers are bad. I think that you know a lot of people thought they might make a move. Uh, now that they didn't, wh- where do they stand with that? Are they wondering maybe Antonio Brown? Can we lower our moral standard enough to bring in Antonio Brown, or is it too late? I think it's too late. I don't yeah. think they're going to bring Brown in. I think what what's going to happen here now is, um, you know, to answer your question, you know, they tried to make it. They made a deadline move last year. They got Golden Tate. And it was just enough for them to barely get into the playoffs. And then he caught the touchdown against the Bears in that wild card game. So, I mean, I suppose you could say that the trade was worth it. But um, I don't think they were eager to make another move like that, especially one that required them to give up draft picks. Um, You know, I think what you're looking at now is a situation where the wide receivers have been subpar all season. Uh, I don't know if Alshon Jeffrey's playing with it through an injury or what, uh, but he's been a shell of his former self. Nelson Aguilar has struggled. They've got nothing from their third, fourth, fifth wide receiver at all. Um, So what they're going to do is they're going to play 12 personnel. They're going to play with two tight ends a lot. Um, While they're not going to run the ball three out of every four plays, you are going to see them play a little bit more ball control with Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders, rely on Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, and count on Carson Wentz to kind of keep playing in a way he's played most of the season, which is pretty controlled, Um, you know, not taking too many chances, but, you know, giving him enough leeway so that he can make a, you know, a big terrific individual kind of play when when the time is right and i think they're going to try to ride that into the playoffs so yeah i watched a game last night the seahawks niners and you got the packers and the vikings and the saints you got a lot of good teams in the nfc but none of them really feel so over the top to me and i feel like the cowboys and the eagles are at about the same spot i look at the nfc as kind of wide open almost like if the eagles got their act together that they could be dangerous in the playoff am i being overly optimistic I don't think you are. Um, you know, I wrote, before they played the Packers earlier this season, I, I wrote in a column leading into the game that, you know, nobody should be surprised if they win this game. They were 1-2. and two. It looked like their season was on the brink. The Packers were unbeaten. Uh, Rodgers hadn't even really played well to that point. And the Eagles went in there and beat them. Um, and there they were at 3-4, and four, and they've won their last two games, and now they're back to 5-4. and four. 
Um, there is, I think, I think you're right about the NFC. I don't think any of the teams out there really scare you to death. Um, you know, maybe Russell Wilson does, you know, insofar as the season he's having and the quarterback he's always been, but he, he certainly doesn't come off as being unbeatable. You know, that team doesn't come off as being unbeatable. Um, and I think that if they get, if the Eagles get in, they're, they're the classic example of a team nobody wants to play because they've right. got enough guys left who have been there and done it. Um, and Doug Peterson, you know, can call, can still dial up some, some really good plays. He's a, he's an excellent play caller. Um, and they've been better as seasons have gone along under him. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's too, you know, outlandish of you to say, Hey, you know, if they get in, they could make a run. Yeah. I mean, even last year, they, they beat the bears in a really ridiculous game, but they could have beaten the Saints. They should have beaten the saints for all intents and purposes who were really good. So I'm not, I'm not kidding. Them. All right. Last question. The negative stuff on Carson Wentz, you're really close to it. Uh, I'm not with it every day. Wait, if I, somebody nationally calls the Dan Patrick Show and says, is there anything, should we read into anything on the smoke about Carson Wentz being a problematic teammate, or is that just smoke? I think most of it is smoke. Um, I, I will say this. He's a, he's a problematic teammate to me only in relation to the other guy who had played quarterback for the Eagles these last few years, who is Nick Foles, who mm. everybody in that locker room loved and who of course stepped in for Carson and won the freaking Super Bowl and and not only won the Super Bowl but played better in that NFC championship game against the Vikings and and then in the Super Bowl in, against the Patriots than just about any quarterback has ever played in two postseason games. I mean, it was ridiculous how good yep. he was in those games. Um, so there is kind of like a there's a standard by which Carson is being measured here and I don't think even some of his teammates and I don't think it's many, I think it's a couple um, there's a standard that are me- they're measuring him against that no quarterback could meet. Uh, so th- having said that, are there things, small things I think that Carson could do to maybe come off a little better publicly? Maybe a little bit. I mean, you know, when he got asked a couple of weeks ago, for instance, you know, who do you turn to for advice when the team's struggling or you're struggling? And he said, um, well, to God. And, that, and that's all fine and good, but it also, if you if you tweak that a little bit, it sounds like, you know, I don't need to go to any human being. I can just look inside myself yeah. or, or look to God. And, you know, I can understand how somebody might find that a tiny bit off-putting. But, I mean, we're really, we're, we're kind of, you know, looking for really, really small flaws here. I mean, the guy's a good young quarterback. He's generally well-regarded in that locker room. And like I said, his only sin, it seems to me, is that he wasn't on the field um, when this, when his team won the Super Bowl, he just happened to be replaced by a guy who played incredibly great for you know two and a half weeks. Absolutely, uh, but that's like standard quarterback playbook to look to God. I mean, Russell Wilson, everybody does that. But okay, uh, I'll leave you with this. So I'm having um, my friend Charlotte Weiler from SI on, who's a mm-hmm. big Boston sports fan, and you're the Philly guy. Rank these four Northeastern Seaboard cities for best fans, and I you could go anywhere you want. You don't have to go Philly first, Philly. New York, Washington, and Boston. Best, most loyal, most knowledgeable, most serious fans of those four? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, I would say I would put Philadelphia ahead of Boston because I get the sense that Boston has become arrogant with all the success of its franchise. Oh, yeah. And Philadelphia doesn't have to worry about that. <laughs> um, I, I would I would put New York ahead of them. I, I would put it this way: New York, Philadelphia, Boston, Washington. Washington, to me, um, you know that whole Nationals run. I like the team. I like the guys on the team. You know that that town discovered base. Most people in that town discovered baseball like five minutes ago. You know they're they're 
kind of bandwagon fans. They're kind of homerish. You know, I got no time for Washington fans. New York is really knowledgeable. You know this from having worked there. People there know their stuff. Um, I would put them a tick above Philadelphia, Boston below them, and then D.C. Okay. I couldn't agree more on the Nationals, and I called on all these National fans. First of all, they, I have a lot of friends from the area. They all grew up Orioles fans, and now they're Nationals fans. Get out of here. Yeah, Forget yeah. that. That's ridiculous. Now, the thing with New York, I'm, I'm going to put Philly a little bit above New York, although it's basically a three-way tie with New York, Boston, and Philly. I think mm-hmm. Boston fans are smart, too. New York, that split between having two teams, sort of, it's different. It's a, it's a different sports experience in Philadelphia where everybody's pulling the exact same direction. No, I think you're right about that. It waters it down just a little bit to have Mets and Yankees, Jets and Giants, because I don't think anyone, yeah, mo- for the most part, New York fans are incredibly knowledgeable. I'm not dissing them, but... I would almost give Philly an edge because you know who you're rooting for from the day you're born and you bleed green or whatever color, you know, Phillies, red, white, and blue. You ring the bell. You do all that. and You don't think twice about it. In New York, there's a little more choice. Yeah, I think that's true to a degree. I think um, the thing about Philadelphia, though, that I think we have to acknowledge, even though we're from there, is that. Uh, the, the, the town, collectively speaking, has such an inferiority complex. Oh, absolutely! That it bleeds into everything, you know. <laughs> yes. And while Boston's gone completely the other way because they've been winning so much and they've gotten so arrogant, um, that that part of Philadelphia just, just has always irked me a little bit. Like, look, it's a great place to live. You know, th- there's pretty good tradition for you know for each year four teams. Not as great as some other cities. Just don't worry about what everybody thinks of you so much. Just be content with being a great town and a great sports town. Um, and New York doesn't have to worry about that. Now, you know, you're right. I think the diversity of the of New York and the different teams and Yankees fans can be arrogant and Mets fans and Jets fans can be downtrodden. I almost like that more. It's almost like you gotta you gotta figure out what kind of New York sports fan you're uh, you're dealing with. Yeah. Uh, as far as being Angry and obscene in the stands. I mean, there's no doubt that Philly, even if yeah. they clean up their act, they're still way above everybody oh, else. Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, so are you going to go to the mall near the stadium? Like, what do you do in Foxborough when you're up there? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I did go to the mall last the um, the Patriot Place last yeah. night. Um, you know, had dinner with a friend of mine. Um, I'm working. On, I was working on a story today, so I drove around the uh, the greater suburban Boston and Foxborough area. Um, but no, I'm mostly going to be plugging away on work. I'm not going to get out too much. All right. Good job, Mike. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'll see you. I'm going to be down there on Sunday. So I'll see you on Sunday late afternoon. Sounds great, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, buddy. Talk to you later. All right. You got it. Man, that was awesome. I uh, got a little emotional there, Mario, talking about calling my dad from the Super Bowl. That was yeah. that was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, because if the Eagles win it again, then eh, who cares? Uh, all right. Now let's uh, look at the other side of this game, the New England Patriots, and let's talk to Super Patriots fan, because any Patriots fan is a Super Patriots fan, because you you win all the time. Why wouldn't you be? And just a humorist and a sports writer and just a really funny and great person. Here's Charlotte Wilder from Sports Illustrated. Okay, Charlotte, I could ask you about all your Patriots winning Super Bowl memories, but I want your lasting memory from the loss to my Philadelphia Eagles. Okay, this is kind of a story, Andrew. I hope you're ready. Um, I was at the so I was at the Super Bowl for the the first ten days before then, um, but I. The minute I landed in Minneapolis a week before, because, you know, the Super Bowl is the longest, that week is the longest year of the sports calendar. <laughs> um, 
I immediately got like the worst flu of my life. I, I hallucinated. I was hallucinating in my hotel room, the Fox robot, you know, Cletus. Yeah. Yeah. I hallucinated that he was in my hotel room. Well, as far as my friends. Yeah. As far as we know, right? it was a, as far as we know, it was a hallucination. Right. Yeah. Who's to say? Who's to say? Uh, he could have been there. But one of my friends was like, whoa, you should go to the Minute Clinic. Um, mm. So I went, I like got meds. I, I, the, everything was okay, but I didn't have a voice for the rest of the time. And like, I was just really sick by Saturday and, um, I didn't have a credential for the actual game. Um, I was covering this for SB nation at the time. And so I was kind of like, I'm sick. Why am I here? So I left, but my flight was delayed. And so I ended up having to stream the game on the plane's Wi-Fi. Um, because everything got all messed up. And then they rerouted us to Hartford because we ran out of fuel on the way back to New York. And I was just like, this is a nightmare. So my, my biggest memory is making it home to my apartment in Brooklyn four minutes before the game ended. And then they lost. And I was like, this could not have gone worse. <laughs> that is the worst Super Bowl, except I was with Peter King where he had to go to the hospital too. I don't know if you know that story. You know, Peter, no. like, he reports like... He works 20-hour days doing the pool right. reporter stuff, and he got, like, a, a weird bacterial infection and was, like, in oh, the no. ER Super Bowl week. I don't know why I'm telling you all this dirty laundry. Peter, of course, <laughs> wrote, wrote 10,000 words on it, a Monday morning quarterback, so it's out there. Um, yeah, so you and Peter King have a lot in common there. Super Bowl week, it's kind of like Charles Barkley with All-Star Week. You know how he loses his voice by the actual yes. game? So is yes. it that kind of situation, or were you just randomly sick? Were you... Were you out know, late at night? Just, no, I mean, well, I definitely like by Friday, I was like, you know what? Screw it. Like I'm going to drink anyway, which was probably <laughs> not the best idea. Um, but yeah, it was just like a fluke that I got really sick that week. Um, I still managed to like, I did some stuff I'm proud of. Um, but man, it was like, that was my, that was my flu game. That was my Michael Jordan moment. Well, I'm of course, a little older than you, Charlotte, and I don't, I think it's been about 20 years, so no, it hasn't been that long, but uh, I may or may not have potentially thrown up on Marcus Allen's shoes on a yacht before a Super Bowl many, many years ago. <laughs> I don't really know what happened. That's like, Andrew, that's like sports writer Mad Libs. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, there was this incident on a boat, and it was mostly seasickness, but... Uh, oh, yeah, sure, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was the old Andrew Perloff. The new Andrew Perloff was there, uh, fifth row, called my dad afterwards and cried, which is, here's my question. Aww. You guys uh, you guys win titles all the time in Boston. Like, does it even register anymore? It's like, oh, another parade, whatever. Uh, you know, I think it depends on who you are. I think, like, for the, for the Sox um, 2018 World Series win, that mattered a lot to me. Um, I still, I felt that, in a very real way, the Pats win over the Rams. I was, I mean, the game sucked so much yeah. that I was just like, uh, okay, cool. Guess we did it again. And <laughs> I think a lot of, I think a lot of fans would disagree with me. I think this is probably a pretty controversial take for a Boston sports situation. Cause they'd be like, yes, everyone still matters. Like you're giving us a bad name by saying we don't care. But I mean, I think it, it makes a difference. Like I will never forget the Sox win in 2004 sure. as long as I live. And I really couldn't tell you where I was for 2013. So it just, it, it, it 
yeah, it's kind of bizarre where the bar is a championship or like it wasn't the most successful season. Right, but the Atlanta, the win over Atlanta was probably pretty awesome because of the way they did it. Yeah, I love that. I was there for that. Um, I've never seen a press box lose it the way ever. everyone was just could not believe it was happening. Um, and that was really special. That was really, really cool. Uh, Wait, getting to be in the locker room after. Wait, were you in the main press box for the Atlanta Super Bowl? Yeah. Because that's hard to get into. I've never been in the main press box. Oh, yeah. I wasn't supposed to be there. I didn't have oh, to. Oh, oh, oh. But, trust, but trust me, I made it in there. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I guess I've been in there. I just never been assigned seat. You know, there used to be oh, like... Oh, yeah, no. I just... Yeah. I, I camped out. Uh, I'm going to blow up a spot right now, but I just like perched behind Will Brinson. From- <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, because like people think Will, Will can't be up to anything nefarious. Like it's got to be... Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, oh, yeah. There, there was once Sports Illustrated, you know, had a certain number of credentials back in when there was like the big time writers, like the Gary Smiths mm-hmm. of the world. So one time, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Z told what, us. Are you saying I'm not a big time writer, Andrew? Come on. <laughs> I'm saying, uh, yeah, that you had to sneak in behind Brinson. I'm giving you a hard time. Yeah, but right. you had to sneak in behind Brinson. No, of course, now you're a big time <laughs> Oh, God. You got to be sorry. But uh, back when it was like, okay, Gary Smith and Rick Riley and Dr. Z had like two two main press box passes for uh, for three guys. And right, right. Dr. Z told a version of the story that, uh, yeah, because I used to, when I was first at SI, I used to edit Dr. Z and he had the best stories. It was unbelievable. So oh anyway, but yeah, they used to fight over that one press box seat, but I like, you just go in there. What's a the big deal? You know, they have hot chocolate. I, I used oh, to, yeah. I've been at the very top, a few Super Bowls. you know, like the auxiliary press row. Yes. That's, uh, that's where the real winners hang out. The auxiliary press row. Hey, I was there this year, man. I uh, I enjoyed it. I had a great time in the stands. <laughs> yeah, that's, I love it. Okay, uh, so I asked um, Mike Sielski, who's a buddy of mine, the Philadelphia Inquirer columnist, uh, to write these four uh-huh. cities, and now I'm going to have you do the same thing. Uh, this is the best sports fans based on passion, knowledge, commitment, just general coolness. The Washington fans, Philly fans, Boston fans, and New York fans. Is this a trick question? Because these are literally all the worst fan bases. No, it's. Uh, I'm not saying they're all perfect. I'm just saying if you had to rank who are the best, I'm just curious what you say. Obviously, I mean, okay, so there's a difference between like best and like passionate and knowledgeable because I have a ranking for you. I'm ready to do this. I have. Um, but I do think that this is under this is using you know passion, knowledge, commitment while understanding that they are all deeply obnoxious and probably hated in the rest of the country to a certain extent. Um, I think I would, I'm going to go Boston one. Um, obviously I'm biased, so I don't know if this is even a legitimate ranking, but I do think that it's hard to argue that there's another city that has been um, as consistently passionate, even like through the losing and then through the winning. Um, I think that those are two things that can become either demoralizing or that you get used to. And I think that what's been impressive to me is like, you know, the Pat, the Super Bowl last year, it looked like a Pat's home game. Like people, people show up, people care so much, uh, regardless of how you feel about them. It's hard to argue that. Um, I'm going to put Philly next uh, because I think that Philly and Boston are actually way more similar in terms of fan bases than people from either city want to admit. Um, oh, absolutely. Philly, you know, like, I really think that there's a lot of parallels there. And, um, you know, after the Eagles won, people went nuts. Um, I, I think that 
there is, you know, while they, they did still manage to boo the team in the first game the next season, but I think that that's, <laughs> that's part of it. Like that's part of their form of passion and caring. Um, I'm going to put Washington next. No, now not have what? Yeah. I would not have done that. I would not have done that like even three years ago, but I know a lot of Washington fans who recently with the, with the Cavs winning, um, with the Nats winning, um, I've seen sort of a level of commitment and caring that I was surprised by. And I think that with New York, like, yes, you have your long suffering Knicks fans and your Giants fans and your Jets fans, but I also think people in, I mean, I'm very biased here because I lived in Washington and I hated it and I love living in New York. So I think that people in New York have a lot more going on than people in Washington. So I'm going to let Washington have this. So I have pretty similar. I had Boston and Philly as a tie. To me, you're right. They're like almost the same sports town. The the Philly fans are a little more obnoxious and kind of profane and Eagles fans are crazy. But uh, like there Boston has a specific kind of insufferableness. Yeah. Philly has a certain kind of like this is a little scary actually. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, very much so. That's a good way to put it. See, I, my issue with New York fans is that you kind of have this two-team split where you can be a you can sort of slide along, oh, I'm a Mets fan, I'm a Nets fan. You know, some people are hardcore, but I feel like when you have two teams to root for, you don't have the same galvanization. I don't even know if that's a word. Totally. That Boston and well, Philly have. Right. It like turns people on each other. You're like, oh, I love the Mets. So, you know, I hate the Yankees. Like, yeah, there is there's a natural division there or it's like Jets, Giants. I mean, either of those is a terrible choice right now. But, you know. Right. Well, least, yeah. At least the Giants have Danny Dimes. <laughs> well, the funny thing, too, is New York teams are terrible right now. The Jets and the Giants. I mean, the Yankees are good. The Knicks are an embarrassment. The Nets are waiting. It's all they're all bad. It's like the, there's so much money in New York and they can't buy any wins. Truly, which just I mean. Not to get into ownership, but yeah, there you I go. Mean, okay, rapid fire some Patriots questions for you. How long does yeah. Tom Brady play? I think he's going to go to forty-seven. <laughs> really? I'm dead serious. Yeah, I, I'm dead serious. I think that's good. Unless he, unless there's a big injury between now and then, knock on wood, God forbid. Um, I see him. I don't think it's going to be forty-five. I think he's going to push this like a lot farther than people might expect. I love it. I hope you're. I hope you're right because I like having them good. Uh, Bill Belichick. Yeah. Oh uh, man, I think about this constantly. I have always thought that he would hang around um, until Brady leaves, um, whether that's something horrible and you know trades him or Brady retires or you know I, I don't put anything past the dark wizard of football. So I think I think he's going to try to outlast Brady. Any chance that the Patriots shock people and sign Colin Kaepernick at any point? Yes, absolutely. If Belichick thinks that he is the best person for if it, either if Brady's gone and they need a new guy or as a backup, like Belichick is, I think, a little more equal opportunity when it comes to talent than people might think. And that can both be a good and bad thing. Okay, if you were creating the perfect NFL narrative, you ran the league, would you have the Patriots in the Super Bowl every year, or would you have new blood in the AFC? I think it depends what that new blood is. If that's the Chiefs, 
Uh, yeah, I think people, I think Mahomes might be able to carry viewership in a way that the NFL would want. I still do think that the Pats are a way bigger draw than people think. I mean, if you look at the primetime games that get over 20 million views for the yeah. past few years, I saw this chart. It was like Cowboys and then Pats. And I, I think that people might think that people don't want the Patriots in it anymore, but I think that subconsciously people do either because that's a rabid fan base in or in new England or because people want to watch them lose. I think you're absolutely right. Okay. How far are they going this year? I think they're going to win the super bowl. I could either see them. I could see them either winning the super bowl or having like a very uncharacteristic come apart in the AFC championship, especially if the Ravens are involved. Yeah. I felt like here, my theory, I was one of those people who said Belichick knows how to stop Lamar Jackson. He just didn't do it because he wanted to save it for the playoffs. You buy into I that? At all? I saw I, I saw that theory too. Uh, I don't, I mean I could see that being a thing. I do still think that Belichick is a little too competitive to throw a game. Like I don't. I, I remember when Tom Brady was suspended. And they started out three and zero with Jimmy G yeah. and Jacoby Brissett. That fourth game, they were strangely not competitive. I felt like Belichick's like, I don't want them to be three and zero. I need a loss so I can work with these young guys. I know I mean, I'm yeah, being, I'm half I mean, kidding, but I do think there's some weird stuff that goes on with the Patriots. I truly would not put it past them. I also could see how it's easier to keep momentum going off a loss over a bye week, where you can be like, we got to come back and prove something. Like I would, I would not be shocked if this were his grand plan. Um, I still kind of would think that maybe he knew how to stop them, and then he would have like pulled something at the last minute to still get a win. But I don't know. I really wanted. I'm going to be honest. Like at this point, I was like, you know what? Give me an undefeated season and a Super Bowl win. Let's just seal the deal <laughs> once and for all. But you know, well, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> a little harder when you don't play Luke Falk in the Jets every week. But uh, <laughs> uh, so Miami Beach uh, Super Bowl coming up. I will both. You'll be there for ten days before, right? I assume, or you do it all the pre stuff. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's should cool. we? Uh, and you know, I always, I've seen you the last couple of years. Are you mm-hmm. thinking like we're we're doing like themed for opens and stuff here? And nobody here wants to do anything birdcage related. Can I count on you? Oh my God! Yes, Andrew. Hello. I am. The Birdcage is the greatest movie of all time, and I knew that. Robin Williams in The Birdcage is my style icon, so if you want me to show up in a linen suit, I'm your girl. Okay, so I'll be Nathan Lane, and you'll be Robin Williams. Is that how this is going down? <laughs> Perfect. Yes, that's how it's happening. <laughs> Great. Uh, Charlotte, I really appreciate your time. Uh, by the way, I love the Tom Brady to 47. If he retires, you're my first. If he's like 44 and retires... I'm going to immediately text you, by the way. Just oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, drag me for that. But when I'm right, I want full credit. No, I'll just like forget. I'm like, did you say that? I don't really remember that. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks. All right, sounds good. Bye, Andrew. That was Charlotte Wilder, Sports Illustrated, great columnist. Now, Mario, you were shaking your head. You don't buy that Boston and Philly fans are better than New York fans? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They mm-hmm. what? What have they suffered? Like, so somebody um, that's my age, twenty five, twenty six, that's a Boston fan. What have they suffered? They haven't had. They haven't had to go through any tough times. Well, that makes New York fans the best right now because they are really suffering. Yeah, I'm a Knicks, Jets, Mets fan. <laughs> well, you have Pete Alonso, you have R.J. Barrett, um, 
Wait, who is your uh, Sam Darnold? You have Sam Darnold. We have pieces, but we still I still haven't seen any kind of winning in my lifetime. Yeah, well, trust me. Grow up in Philly and you know what it's like to be a loser. <laughs> you didn't hear that here. All right. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, I hope you subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Very curious to see. We will revisit this Patriots-Eagles gig uh, next week. I'll be there at Philly waving the DP show flag as always. Where are you sitting? Uh, press box. Oh, oh. look yeah. at you. Look at you. Oh, shit. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot for your time. Later.